This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Should Christians be involved in politics or in the political scene? And if so, to what extent? How much of our trust should we place in politics and political power and processes? How about our money? How much of our money should be invested as Christians in the political process? There are all kinds of questions that Christians have with regard to politics. One of those also has to do with political parties. How can I have allegiance to a political party when I'm called to have allegiance to Christ? How can I say that I have this premier allegiance to a country when, in fact, I'm supposed to have premier allegiance to the God who made and preserved us a nation? There's so many things with regard to Christians and politics that trouble us, uh, that have caused many to shy away completely from involvement in politics, saying it's just a corrupt business. Well, that's politics for you. Well, there, there are reasons why people say that. There is a lot of corruption in politics. Believe it or not, there's a lot of corruption in business. There's a lot of corruption in medicine. We're just discovering all of that concerning COVID. The lying, the cheating, the distorting, even causing people's deaths by the hundreds of thousands. And then there's corruption even in ministry. There's corruption everywhere. You know why that is? Because people are everywhere and people are sinners. That's why we need a savior. So can we look to politics to be our savior? Can we look to Republicans to be a savior? Can we look to Democrats to be a savior? Can we look to any human being to be a savior for us? The whole world right now is looking for some kind of savior. That's why I wrote the book, Messiah. Believe it or not, the whole world is looking for some kind of savior. They're just not looking for Christ. Question, then, to what level or what extent should we look to politics for power, perks, position, salvation, uh, rectification of the problems in our culture and in our country? All of that we're going to talk about here today on Viewpoint. And I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms. Now, before we go further and... uh, Uh, connect in with our guest here coming from Dallas today. I want to let you all know a little insight into my background that perhaps many of you do not know. In 1975, as our nation was approaching the 200th anniversary or birthday of our country called the Bicentennial Celebration, there was an amazing fervor that began to spread across the country. A freshman congressman by the name of John Conlon from Arizona began to tour the country and speak in evangelical groups. I remember hearing him a couple of times, very inspiring, encouraging Christians to get involved in the political process. In fact, there were a number of books that were written during that time actually giving people, Christians, 
point by point how to run for political office, what to do, this, that, or the other. And I have almost all of those books still in my library today. Well, at one point toward the end of 1975, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart saying, son, I want you to run. Now, that may seem strange. Here I was, a uh, young practicing trial attorney, and uh, that God would speak to my heart in that way, but he did. But I didn't know what to do. I didn't know a single person, had never run uh, for politics, didn't know a single person that did other than one, well, two, actually. And so I had no contacts. I had nothing except a direction for the Lord to do this. Well, all of a sudden, the dean of the California Assembly, Frank Lannerman, decided he was going to retire. And so I thought, okay, that's it. There were no other openings, so I marched right down on the last day for registration and signed my name on the dotted line to register to run for the California Assembly in the 42nd Assembly District. Still had no money, no contacts, nothing. But then God brought along an individual who had run in an adjoining district, a Christian man, and he said, Chuck, I'd like to meet with you uh, because I understand you probably don't have any money, and I want to help you understand what you can do without money, without very much money. As a result, I walked 500 miles door to door, knocking on doors, writing follow-up notes to every single person whose door I knocked on, and we made a significant mark on that election. Only problem, the dean of the California Assembly decided that since I was running, he wasn't going to retire. And so he won. Well, that's only part of the story because two years later, I ran again. People were encouraging me to do that because they loved the attitude and the way in which I approached the running for the Assembly. So I walked another 500 miles door to door. Believe me, it's true. I carried a pedometer. I had the holes in the shoes to prove it. But I lost, much to dismay of my wife and the later gratitude of both she and me. Because the guy who was elected had seven kids and he lost his whole family. Now, just because he lost his family doesn't mean you will if you run for politics. But what I'm trying to say is, I've been there, done that. I know what this is about, and it is encouraging that there are so many people today, and I'm receiving their notices on my uh, email every single day. I am a strong Christian. This is what I believe in, and I'm running. Will you help me? So today on Viewpoint, Terry Hasdorf says, that it's time for many of us to run into the fire. Why more Christians need to be involved in politics. Terry, it's good to have you on the program. Well, thank you so much, Chuck. It's great to be with you today. Well, uh, and you've been involved in the political scene. You had a very similar experience to mine, didn't you? I did. I, I really prayed a lot about the decision, and I knew that I was supposed to run. I didn't know if I was supposed to win. I just knew I was supposed to run. Yeah. And I, I didn't. I didn't win in the in the technical sense, but I, I gained an enormous amount of knowledge. 
Well, I agree with that. And, you know, if it had not been for those three years in which I was uh, running for office, my wife and I both know that God used that in powerful ways to develop me to be prepared to do what I'm doing even at this moment. Mm-hmm. So he can use those things in ways that we don't expect, can't he? He sure can. <laughs> so if yeah. you lost, then what's your motivation then for writing a book like this? Well, once again, it was uh, something that I really cried about, and I felt like it was it was something I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the name of the book came from a conversation that I actually had with a friend of mine who had also run for Congress around the same time I did. And he also had not won, uh, but knew he was supposed to run. And I asked him, why do you believe Christians shy away from being involved in politics? And he said, well, because they're afraid of it. They think of it as being dirty and corrupt. And I said, you're absolutely right. That's what I hear over and over. (laughs) Okay. He said, but what they really need to be doing is thinking of it more like people who are in law enforcement or people who are firefighters. Oh, okay. We'll talk about that when we get back from this break. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. O-R-G. I welcome you again back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. We say our viewpoint determines destiny all the time here on the program, and it's true. Our viewpoint concerning our country, our viewpoint concerning government, uh, does determine destiny. The interesting thing is that we are not a government of them. We are a government of we. In fact, the preamble to our Constitution says, we, the people. Yet we're prone to say, the government, they. Why do we do that? Why do we think that way? Well, part of the reason we think that way is because we feel powerless. And another reason is, we just don't get involved. So it's the government, they, or them. You know, the ubiquitous they out there, it's always somebody else. And yet, I'll never forget the words of Edmund Burke. As I was running for office, it came to my attention. I've never forgotten them. He said this, I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I should do. And by the grace of God, I will do. So what would God have you to do? That's the question before us here today on Viewpoint. It isn't Terry. Yes, <laughs> I think there's definitely a uh, a lot that one person can do. I love that quote as well. Oh, it's a beautiful quote, and it's coming from not so jolly old England during the period of slavery, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So uh, we know of a fellow by the name of William Wilberforce uh, did what he could do, and it lasted for many, many, many years. But as a result of his efforts in not so jolly old England. Uh, they actually abandoned slavery first before we did. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it was That's a result right. of politics, wasn't it? Yeah. One man who was willing One to stand up. One man. One man among many. 
will. We don't want to look to politics as a savior, and we don't want to look to a particularly individual as our savior, as president of the United States, to lead us into uh, a kind of pseudo-heaven or nirvana on earth. That can't be our goal as Christians, can it? No. <laughs> that would not be appropriate. It would not. But it would be idolatry, wouldn't it? That's right. So I like what you said in your book. Politics is not the definitive answer to cultural decay. The root of this decay is primarily spiritual. Yet, it's not wrong to say that politics is a part of the answer. I think you put a proper balance there. Well, thank you. It definitely is something where all of the elements come into play. It does. Uh, the problem is, and this is what I have discovered over the years, the problem is that once people get involved in the political arena, they begin to think primarily politically, even Christians. And so if they begin to put their marbles their trust marbles in political power. And that's where they put all of their hope. And uh, that has disturbed me considerably. And so on this program, we have regularly tried to bring a balance to this so that we would see, ultimately, as you say, the root problems of our cultural decay are not political. They're spiritual, aren't they? Well, uh, yes, they first and foremost are spiritual, but they also can be derived from political decisions that many times are uh, coming from leaders that are not elected by by people of faith. They're <laughs> they're people who get in and uh, and are not making decisions that align with the values of the people they represent. And so that's exactly how Roe versus Wade came about in 1973. Uh, Politicians that were not godly appointed Supreme Court justices that were not godly. Uh, that's exactly how Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren from California got into uh, there in 1947 and gave us a, uh, a so-called law decision that was not based on law or precedent that uh, talked about the separation of church and state. So we, we find the echoing consequences of politics everywhere, don't we? We do, and it affects uh, families across the country every day. And this is a time where uh, more and more we see the divide, I think, occurring between uh, the values that our nation was founded on and where we are headed, which that trajectory is not looking very good right now. When we formed Save America Ministries, it's right there on our logo. Uh, it was for the purpose of rebuilding the foundations of faith and freedom. Uh, faith being the first, the, the essential foundation, and freedom being the ultimate uh, consequence, at least as a country. And uh, our founders, even those who are not necessarily strong Christians, believed that the only hope for this country and its endurance as a democratic republic was if the people were virtuous. And if the people were vir if the people were going to be virtuous, they ha their virtue had to be rooted in the authority of Scripture, the Bible. And if that wasn't if that wasn't the case, they said, "Our democratic republic that we've given you cannot stand." 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's where we are right now. That's We're exactly where we, where we are. So Our country has never been closer to the brink of socialism. And socialism at its core is about replacing God with government and freedom with tyranny. So we're standing on a precipice right now, aren't we? I really believe that we are. Yeah. It's a very dangerous place. It's dangerous politically. It's dangerous spiritually. It's dangerous uh, economically. It's dangerous in terms of uh, the society, uh, the family. Uh, The efforts that are being made now are to completely eradicate uh, the family as we know it, to completely undermine marriage as we know it, to completely undermine and destroy the relationship of children to their parents, parents to their children. I mean, this is an all-out assault on the very foundations of uh, society. Well, and it's very troubling to see how rapidly we've gotten to this place as well. And I think it really comes back to what we started you know, this conversation talking about it, it really is the role of people of faith, Christians who have not been getting involved, who need to get more involved. All right. On the other hand, could it be that one of the problems is that professing Christians themselves have not lived as professing Christians and expected the pagans to live like Christians through the culture wars while the Christians were increasingly living like pagans? Well, I think that, you know, there's a lot that uh, has been controversial about, you know, what our modern church has evolved into. Um, And we have gotten very far away from, I think, some of of (laughs) the way that it's best functioning. But uh, the foundations of the faith, which are the foundations of the country. That's right. So, you know, if, if. if we are going to preserve what is great about this country and protect it, it has to be something that every one of us takes personal responsibility towards accomplishing. When Ralph Reed left the uh, Christian coalition uh, to go, I think it was to Dallas or Atlanta to form another uh, aspect of his political outreach, uh, there were two folk that were appointed by Pat Robertson uh, Dan Hodell, or something Hodell, and Randy Tate, I think it was. And uh, they made a comment that I have never forgotten. They said that America will not change until Christians change. Mm. Mm. Very, and, very and because of that, they were fired by Pat Robertson. Why do you think that is? Well, I can't really. They said we could elect all of the Christians in the country to all the political offices in the country. But America will not change, they said, until the hearts of the people change. Mm -hmm. And they were representing a political force, the Christian coalition. Mm -hmm. That statement was not liked. Or received. Why do you think that is? Well, I can't really speculate on what Pat Robertson or anyone else was thinking in regards to that, but I can tell you that I see firsthand the truth in that statement. Uh, Christians have to realize the, the situation we're in right now 
and our freedoms are in jeopardy, and our religious freedom being one of the first and foremost that's in jeopardy. That is true. That is absolutely true. Yes, and, and it's being it, attacked it, with such vigor and so insidiously at every level uh, that many of the bills that come through have woven into them almost like uh, insidiously or in secret woven into them aspects that would uh, compromise or even pull the rug right out from under uh, Christians and religious freedom. That's so true, Chuck. I was looking at a 28-page document that was put together by the Democratic Socialists of America for the Biden-Harris transition team. And this was brought up recently at a policy briefing I was at in in Washington. And, uh, you know, I don't know how seriously these recommendations are being taken by the Biden administration, but from what I understand, you know, this this document has been prepared to basically encourage the administration to strip out all of the religious freedom protections, uh, get rid of any references to Judeo-Christian values, and first and foremost, they want to remove In God We Trust off of everything. They want to go back to E Pluribus Unum as our national motto. That's right. So, you know, this is what we have coming at us, and we can't be like the frog in the kettle. We've got to wake up. All right. Now, the book, friends, Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in the Political Sphere. And that doesn't necessarily mean running for office. It may mean many other kinds of involvements. And Terry is going to discuss some of those with us here uh, to insert uh, some vision for many people uh, to see certainly every single one of us is called to vote. In this nation, in this nation, you must vote if you're a Christian. You, you have to. You have to choose. You're going to choose somebody that isn't perfect, just like you. Oh, that's true. You're going to choose somebody who isn't perfect, just like you. Therefore, you have to choose the best that you can under the circumstances. Choose the best that you can under the circumstances. The book, Running Into the Fire, $18 will put this uh, very helpful and encouraging book in your hands. It's a $20 book, $18 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check. At $5 for postage and handling, we'll get it in your hands. The former prime minister of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, famous guy, said there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Therefore, friends, to some degree, without putting casting all of our care or trust into the world of politics, he still expects us to occupy till Christ returns, to occupy. How do we do that? How do we occupy in the realm of politics when it seems so dirty? How do you do that? That's what we want to talk about in the balance of the program here today on Viewpoint. And uh, again, I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction Talk that transforms. I want to urge you to become a partner with us as we continue our effort to uh, confront these issues, to rebuild the foundations of faith and freedom, 
as a voice first to the church, declaring vision for the nation here in America's greatest crisis hour on the near edge of the second coming. The second coming is not the election of a Republican president or a Democratic president, friends. Believe it or not, it's true. That's not the second coming. The second coming is the coming of the only perfect Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Become a partner with us. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. And uh, I believe that God will bless you. Uh, many people are giving in that regard. Well, some are giving, not, not many, uh, because people just have a hard time understanding where they can trust to give. Just this week, I received a very lengthy letter from a woman who said she had been listening now to this program for some period of time and had been so concerned about what was going on in the church, so concerned about things that she was hearing about this pastor, that pastor. And finally, she came to the place, she says, I trust what you're saying. There's a level of sincerity there that I just have not witnessed in many other places. I'll let you be the decision in your own life. We'll be right back after there is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. You make the choice, and God will help you make whatever necessary changes are required for that which he calls you to do. Regardless of how it might be in your role in the political sphere, we're going to talk about many different levels of involvement here in the next half hour with our special guest, Terry Hasdorf, and her book, Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. Terry, what I'm finding, uh, in fact, I have a book that is ready for interview, uh, a pair of people writing the book saying, you know what, we just have way too much uh, rancor between the different political parties, and, and the church has gotten too involved in uh, politics and therefore the church should get out of politics and stop talking about politics so that we can uh, live happily ever after and get rid of the rancor in our country. What say you to that? Well, my good friend Eamon Ross likes to say, if you want to see what politics looks like without Christians involved, just turn on your TV set. I mean, <laughs> we're called to be salt and light, you know, and running away from politics is not going to make it any better there's somebody that's going to fill that void, and it's probably not going to be the kind of people that we want. Well, if we see that darkness is coming upon the earth and gross darkness upon the people, it's going to take light to dispel the darkness, isn't it? 
that's exactly right. Yeah, and that's really what you're calling for, I think. Yes, 100%. And faith is taking the first step when you don't see the whole staircase ahead. In other words, you got to take step one, like what I had to do uh, when I decided to run for the state legislature. Uh, God spoke to my heart, and I had to act. I had one day to act, and then thereafter, and I didn't know what to do after that. So if we will make the choice, then God will help us to make the necessary decisions and changes to accomplish his purpose, won't he? That's right. I mean, what he calls you to, he equips you for. And, you know, you don't just take this lightly. If you're called to serve in government politics, you also need to be trained. I may feel called to go climb Mount Everest, but I'm not going to go do it tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have all the crampons. I've got the ice axes. I've got everything ready to go. I really do. (laughs) Okay. I like this statement. To have a moral, efficiently running political system is as important as having clean water and healthy food. It is, isn't it? It absolutely is, because it affects everything. It affects everything. Tell us, uh, give us a little insight into some areas in which it affects that people might not commonly think about. Oh, my goodness. Well, just look at the school boards. I mean, the decisions that are happening right now that we're seeing the fruit of. Yeah, right loud in Virginia, right where you and I live. That's right. You don't think about it until it bubbles up to a level of pure insanity, and then everybody goes, huh, why is this happening? Well, it's happening because back downstream, we didn't cut it off at the at the beginning. And now that fruit that's being uh, brought forward is not something that any of us want, want to see happening. No question about it. And it's being imposed. We keep hearing this phrase, well, all you guys want to do is impose your morality on the rest of us. And I'm thinking to myself, what a ridiculous uh, psychological defense mechanism statement. It's a statement of projection. They're projecting on those of us who are trying to preserve the moral foundations of the country while they are trying to impose their viewpoints on the rest of us. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? Well, it is. There's there's plenty of places in the world where you have amoral or immoral governments. So, you know, I think it's pretty incredible what we have here in this country. And having traveled to a lot of other places, I've been to over 78 countries, uh, including Russia, and having seen firsthand what communism does to people, um, we have such an amazing country, and we take it for granted every day. All right. Now, you've got a chapter called Buying a Seat in Congress. Uh, Somebody said we have the best government that money can buy. Uh, It's been said that money makes the world go around. It's also said that love makes the world go around. I'm not sure how those are two linked. But uh, money is a big deal in politics, and that's one of the things that actually causes it to be characterized as uh, less than holy and perhaps dirty. How do we deal with this issue of money? Well, politics is a numbers game. So, you know, I I almost titled this book Less Than 1%, because that is the percentage of Americans who gave to political campaigns in the 2016 election cycle. So if you're honest... Well, I'm I'm glad that I was among the 1% then. I'm glad you're too. If you're not a multimillionaire and you're not willing no. to take money from people who are going to own you, 
where do you go? You have to have that kind of support. You know, basically a, a, a campaign is a marketing uh, effort. And if you are not able to pay for advertising, you're not going to have a successful campaign. So it's, it's like anything else. You've got to have money to make it work. And yet, you know, if we, if we have only allowed the people who are going to have an agenda that we may not like to be the ones to provide the money to support the candidates, what kind of candidates are we going to get? The ones that we don't want. Well, as you said in your book, money, not decisions focused on good government, is driving everything. So money, uh, like everything else, money is a tool. Mm -hmm. Yes, the love of money is the root of much or all evil, but not money itself. The same is true with houses or lands. The same is true with election to office. You can have an election to office. The problem is not with the office. The problem is with the person in the office. And that brings me to to another question for you. And uh, this is a a big deal. In fact, we ran across this in massive ways with regard to the 2016 election. And uh, here we had Hillary Rodham Clinton and uh, Donald J. Trump. Well, in the primary, to be honest, on this program, I uh, indicated to our listeners very strongly that I was not happy with the background, the morals of Donald J. Trump, historically. I wasn't happy with it at all. Very troubled about it. But then he became the only choice other than Hillary Rodham Clinton. Then the choice cleared up. We had one candidate representing ideas, uh, positions that were absolutely radically contrary to the Bible. We had another one who, even though he had a history of philandering, he was now embracing with vigor the authority of the Bible moral positions that were consistent with uh, basic Christian ideals. Where's the choice? How do you make that choice? But many, even many of our evangelical leaders mocked the idea that anybody would vote for Donald Trump if they were Christian. How do you respond? Well, I think it's very important that people realize that uh, politics comes down to in most cases, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're never going to get anybody that's perfect. So, Unless, often, of course, you're running. And then the <laughs> yeah, moment I'm, you're in there, whoa, Katie, bar the door. <laughs> everybody, everybody who is in politics has to be treated like it's a job interview. And you have to look at their qualifications. But you have to look deeper even than that and realize, you know, this is this is almost like hiring somebody. You would never just run out and hire someone with, you know, five minutes of decision making and maybe looking at, at whose picture you see the most. This These people are making decisions that are enormously uh, in, impacting in our lives. And so why you wouldn't want to really put some time and energy into that, it's, it's a very critical time when an election happens especially in a primary, because primaries are where you weed out the good candidates from the bad. 
Mm. And you're never going to get somebody who's or weed be out perfect. weed out the good ones from the bad and leave the good ones on the side and exalt the bad ones. <laughs> That's right. So finding a way to uh, you know get more involved on the on the front end of, of elections is something that I really encourage people to do. But any any race that you've got, uh, you have to really kind of sometimes look at it as who is who is going to be more in line with my values than the other, it's, it's probably not going to be perfect in, in any, in any yeah. stretch of the imagination. All right. So Alexander Teitler uh, wrote a piece many years ago, was on the back of my very first book, Preserve Us a Nation. And uh, he said that in a democracy, it's destined to destroy itself because ultimately... Once the people gain freedom and they've been diligent and they're walking virtuously, they ultimately end up voting only for the person that promises them whatever they want. In other words, money. And ultimately, the democracy destroys itself because of their greed. So, everybody wants to cry, our democracy, our democracy, our democracy. But what is motivating people to vote? Is it that my own pocket is going to be lined by something? A promise? We know how futile these promises are that come politically, don't we? So I think that uh, the, the question you're asking is, you know, how do you, how do you separate out motivation of the heart and that's why I, that's I right truly believe now more than ever we need people who are true christians true people of faith who are not going to go based off of just you know whatever it is that is is in it for me they're going to be listening to the voice of god they're going to be praying about these decisions they're going to be doing their homework and they're going to care about the bigger picture not just themselves and that's why we need more christians involved in politics all right and that brings us to the issue of well, my grandfather voted in this party, and my father voted in this party, so therefore I vote in this party. Think about well, that and your answer to that uh, after this break. We'll be right back, okay. friends, with our special guest, Terry Hasdorf. The book, Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics in the last segment. He's going to tell us about a number of ways that uh, we can be involved in smaller ways that can make a big difference, yes, even in our own communities. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. 
is our fundamental allegiance to Christ or a political party? That's really an overarching question that summarizes what I laid down for our guest to respond to here in this segment of the program. Terry, what say you? Well, ultimately, Chuck, as a Christian, you know, I'm accountable to God first and foremost. And I think that's what makes having Christian leaders uh, more effective is because they're accountable to something higher than just the voters. Well, that's true, but uh, this matter of allegiance to a political party seems to be uh, the leading lodestone of politics in America. Well, I think each person has to pray and decide what is best between them and their faith. But, you know, this is a time where uh, it's becoming very clear uh, whose values you're going to support. And if you are in support of Christian values, um, the choices are very narrow. Well, when you have an entire political party that is actually doing everything it can, both openly and covertly, to undermine and destroy uh, everything of uh, uh, Christian manifestation and moral manifestation in the country, uh, it makes the choices much easier, doesn't it? It does, but I think that right now, Christians being more involved on every level of government and in both parties is what is the dynamic that's missing. Mm, Right. get so into this polarizing mindset, and it's like, no— we, we are all Americans, and we are all called to be a part of this process. And we've moved so far away into the extremes, and that's where I think the divide is becoming so great. Well, if 69% of us claim to be born-again Christians, uh, you wonder how can we possibly be in the mess we are in, and it's been said that we get the government we deserve. So are, have we gotten the government we deserve? Well... 15 million Christians are not registered to vote. And, you know, roughly 40... You've got to be kidding me. 15 million Christians not registered. That's a travesty. That's a sin. So you look at that and the fact that even the ones who are registered to vote, oftentimes close to half of them don't vote at all. Unbelievable. And fewer vote in the primaries. So I think we've put our finger on the problem. Okay, so I was going to ask the question, to vote or not to vote, that's the question. So what about those who say, well, uh, my vote doesn't really count, or uh, I don't really like anybody, so I'm just going to refrain? How do you respond? Well, my, re- my response to that would be you've got to vote in every election, every time, because those votes really do matter. And if, if we are turning out in the numbers that we could be, we have enormous sway with elections, and I talk about some of that in the mm-hmm. book. Uh, George Barna's done a lot of research on this, and it is uh, staggering how much right. of an impact. So if you uh, don't vote, you really have voted for the other side. Correct. Okay, that's that's the reality of it. If you don't vote, you actually have rendered a vote for the other side. Okay, now, the other side of the issue, whatever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. All right, now, how, in what areas... Can the average person be involved without running for political office? What can they do? How should we be involved in the broader political sphere? That's a great question. You know, even if you're not called to the mountain of government, if you don't uh, feel like God is calling you to serve in, in elected office or serve in some position in government, you still don't get a pass. 
everybody needs to get involved with helping support those who are called because if you are in that role, it, it, it's an incredibly demanding type of job. And sure. the support that's needed is tremendous, especially if you're doing it for all the right reasons and you're honest and you're there because you're selfless and you're just trying to serve. So, you know, one of the things that is critical, obviously, pray. Pray for the people that are running, pray for the people that are in office. But beyond that, there's a lot of practical steps that people stop at. Either, well, I voted or I voted and I prayed and now I'm done. No, <laughs> there are so many things that are that are tremendously needed, such as giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said earlier, campaigns take money. Uh, if we want to get the right kind of people elected, we've got to get behind them and support them. Well, it's interesting because you have a quote for the liberal left, politics is their religion, and they tithe to it on a regular basis. That is a very powerful statement. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's something that I think we need to understand very clearly and see politics differently, because your money is your vote in a lot of ways. Mm. And we need to vote at the ballot box, but we also need to vote with our wallets, with our time, with our influence. There's a lot of ways to vote. So you're saying we need to put our money where our mouth is. That's correct. Don't complain if you're not willing to do something about it. That's right. All right. So whether you can give five dollars, twenty five, or twenty five hundred, what I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, I will do. That's right. And you also have to be smart about how you give. Um, one of the things that I talk about is how important it is to give money directly to the candidate. Mm-hmm. Just like in anything else, there are good actors and bad actors, and there are some out there that are just trying to exploit political fundraising for their own gain. Right. And so you have to be discerning about how you give. But if you have somebody that you've vetted, that you know is a good candidate, that you've prayed about, the next step is to give. And the best, most effective way to do that is to just give directly to their campaign website, and it should say, paid for by so-and-so for whatever the office is, Mm -hmm. and that's how you know that you're getting direct to the source. Well, just yesterday, I received uh, two or three different email requests. Uh, I get quite a few of these uh, because a number of months ago, I uh, made several contributions. By the way, for our listeners' sake, not one of those contributions came from Save America Ministries or the Viewpoint Program. I, whatever contributions I make, are my personal contributions, and I receive no income whatsoever from Save America Ministries or the Viewpoint Program or any of your donations. I just want to make that clear. Now, uh, yesterday I received a couple of uh, requests, and as I inspected those requests, I was prompted not to delete them, but to go before the Lord and say, okay, is this a person that I should give to. And uh, because of the stance of the person, not just on political issues, but the clarity of their spiritual uh, stance, that went a long way toward uh, discerning whether or not to give to that particular person. How do you do How do you make that discernment? Well, I think you uh, have to do your homework, and you want to talk to others who are like-minded that know about these kind of candidates. In every state, there are organizations that research things out. Uh, I've got some listed in the back of the book. I uh, love, you know, Moms for America, Leadership Institute. There's a lot of good ones that can equip you with information and tools to know more about the people that are running. 
And then voter guides, like iVoter guides, mm-hmm. uh, that's very helpful. And really, you know, once you've had a chance to look at that, then you need to pray about it. But you also need to really talk to others who know those candidates personally or get to know them themselves. Because the thing about it is, on paper, a lot of people all look alike. So in, in a primary situation, <laughs> they may all say the same things and they may all sound really good. Mm-hmm. But there are huge differences often between those candidates. And yeah. if you don't really do your homework, you're going to fall prey to you know, media hype. Question. Pragmatism over principle. We are looked upon as a pragmatic nation. In other words, just practical. The idea is, well, whatever works. Now, let's put that in the category of finding a candidate and supporting. What if you find a candidate that you believe is worthy of support? Their stance, their position, their moral uh, position, their history, qualifications, and so on. But others say they don't have a chance to win. Now, what do you do? Well, you you know, you just put your finger exactly on the problem. The more that people believe that, the more it, it contributes to the, to the demise of the candidate. It becomes but a self-fulfilling it, prophecy. Exactly. It's like trying to start up a business. If nobody's going to give you any seed money, how do you get going? Right. And yet it can be a, a catalyst, you know, just like a, a Kickstarter type of campaign where if, if even one major donor gets involved and says, okay, this is the candidate I'm going to start supporting, and now you've got money to start working with, all of a sudden other people start paying more attention, and then they go, hey, well, maybe there is some viability to this candidate, and they start getting involved. Pretty soon it starts to escalate. All right. So you have uh, a, a Uh, chapter in the back of your book, steps you can take to get started today. Uh, You talk about voting, getting involved in primaries, doing your homework, give money, ask God if you're being called to run, recruit a good support team, get trained, get informed, go door-to-door for your candidate. Ah, knocking (laughs) door-to-door. I'll tell you one thing. You know, when I walked those thousand miles door to door over a period of uh, two and a half years, uh, it was highly instructive. Mm. And uh, if it had not been for that, God did some amazing things in my own life, opening up to me up to people in ways that I don't think He could have used any other mechanism to do it. You learn about your community. You learn about the people that are out there and the problems that they have, it really is an amazing thing. Well, you learn about yourself, too. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So uh, all of these things are very, very uh, important, and uh, the reality is we do get the government we deserve. We elect them. We do not have a democracy. We have a democratic republic. A don't republic, don't we, Terry? We do. The more and we, this- can, the more you hear people say, "Our democracy, our democracy, our democracy." That should be the first clue that maybe there's something wrong with their thinking. Hmm. Mm. Because we're electing <laughs> representatives, aren't we? We are. And we elect and people that are just like us. 
So we get the government we deserve. It's 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 amazing. It's not that difficult to figure out. Doesn't take a Philadelphia lawyer, doesn't take a rocket scientist, doesn't even take Terry Hasdor for Chuck Chris Meyer to figure it out. Uh, it's right. so simple, a five-year-old can see. If you vote, you get what you vote for. If it's a million people that are voting, they get what they collectively voted for. That's uh-huh. pure democracy. We do not have a pure democracy. We have a democratic republic, which Benjamin Franklin said, uh, you know, if you can keep it. That's, That's a right. big if. That's the big if, and that underlies your whole book, doesn't it? It does, and that's exactly the, you just summed it up perfectly, Chuck. That's the entire Oh, well, thank you, Terry. (laughs) You see, I really was a trial lawyer, and I, you know, we just did a summation there, and uh, I I spared you the serious cross-examination, didn't I? Maybe a little bit. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, friends, the book, Running Into the Fire. You may think of it as a fire. we got to pull pull something out of the fire here, don't we? Something's got to be pulled out of the fire, and it takes good people to do it. If not you, who? And if now, if not now... When? Now, God didn't call me to run again. In fact, Terry, uh, what I didn't reveal is that in 1992, 15 years after I had previously run, our congressman, a Christian congressman, was retiring. People came to me and said, Chuck, this seat is open. Maybe you should run. So I went to our senior Senate uh, representative in California, uh, 28-year veteran. He was a Christian. Took him out to breakfast. I said, Newt, here's the deal. Here is what God's called me to do, and should I run now or not? You know what his answer was? For you, Chuck, don't run. For you, because God has given you such an amazing ability to present his word in ways that people don't understand, That's what you should do, and do it best. And that's what we're doing now for the past 29 years. Thanks for joining us, friends. Get a copy of Terry's book. It's on our website, $18, Save America Ministries. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 